Jess, you want to do the intro? Sure, if I can remember how we've done it. It's been a while, so. Welcome to Thought Feeder. That's yours. Welcome to Thought Feeder. I'm John Steven Stansel, and with me as always is the uh, impeccably bespectacled Joel Goodman. And this week we are so excited to have Anastasia Golafishkina with us today. Uh, you may know her from many things. She has, has worked with orgs like When We All Vote uh, and with Represent Us and also with Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign. So uh, we've got a lot to discuss today uh, about that and how working with leaders can relate to, to, to working with, with them in higher ed and, and all the things that go into that. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We're glad to have you. So if you don't mind, would you kind of give just a basic introduction to yourself? You know, a bit about who you are, what you do, and how, how you got started in social media. Yeah, I think the answer... Uh, so hi, Anastasia Golovashkina. Um, currently in, based in Boston, worked as on Elizabeth Warren's presidential campaign, as uh, John Stephen mentioned. Currently a senior director at Trilogy Interactive and uh, doing basically the same thing, but like for other companies, campaigns, candidates. And I think the answer to your question about how I got started in social media and also the kind of Venn diagram intersection with politics is kind of my life story. I mean, I've been inspired by Barack Obama and Elizabeth Warren ever since I first started just paying attention to politics. And social media has always been the medium that's made politics exciting and engaging for me. And that's what I hope to do through my work. So, you know, during the 20, 2004 election, that was jib jabs, uh, this land is your land, if you remember that quite a throwback. And uh, during the 2008 primary, you might remember Obama girl uh, seeing crush on Obama. And it was kind of an early form of social media also making politics exciting for me. And in 10th grade, we had to, uh, I was in speech class and we had to give a persuasive speech. And I just noticed no one signed up about the presidential election. So sure, I'll sign up why Barack Obama should be elected. And I just went down the full rabbit hole about politics. So I also, I of course, gave that speech, but also volunteered for his campaign, joined youth in government, ran for student government, won, then ran for re-election, also won uh, the following year, joined Junior States New America, and then just went really down the rabbit hole. And when Barack Obama was elected and he served in office, Elizabeth Warren's appointment and leadership of the Dodd-Frank Congressional Oversight Panel and Consumer Financial Protection Bureau showed me that holding big banks and business accountable for their role in the financial crisis wasn't just important, it was possible. So that's what inspired me to also go to University of Chicago, study economics, study public policy. I came of age around the financial crisis of 2008, and that's what really got me excited about political work. And social media was really what brought that to me. Following Barack Obama's re-election, I worked part-time at 270 Strategies for the second two years of my time in college. I loved it, and then I moved out to the Bay Area and uh, worked at Trilogy Interactive, where I'm back now managing the social media department. And then Elizabeth Warren was thrilled to work on her campaign and really applied the day she announced she was just doing exploratory committee to explore run for president. Yeah, I think she's uh, she's fantastic. She's inspired me my whole life, and I'm I was really thrilled to see her run for president. And I'm still uh, the biggest fangirl of everything she does. That's awesome. Yeah, it's such like a throwback to think about that that time around 2004 and that those early stages of social media as and those was, viral videos. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. The, this for me, I, I, it's been a long time since I've thought about those, but it's such a long road and interesting to like to come of age and in that time period or I kind of fell into social media as it was not it you know exist as a career when I finished college in 2001 right 
and, and to kind of look back and see how much it's developed over that time, and especially with politics too, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's changed so much. And, and I think where leaders like Obama were some of the first to like tap into it, now it's just kind of taken for granted, right? You've got to have a social media presence. I'm pretty sure that Barack Obama was the, the first president to be on Twitter, and he also mm-hmm. followed so many accounts to get those followbacks. I didn't launch my Twitter account around his first term, but um, I know that that was a big part of his strategy, and that's actually also why Twitter now limits the number of accounts you can follow during a given day, because he basically did that first. His campaign did. It's interesting to see how the strategy has developed, too, where that's kind of become a little passe, but in those early days, like, yeah, that's, that's what you did. It's, it's changed so much. So when you were working on the Warren campaign, which was absolutely amazing, right? And I can only imagine like the level of responsibility and, and pressure of managing an account like that. Like for, from a brand standpoint, like brand accounts are scrut- held under an extreme amount of scrutiny. Like if you're working for, just, I don't know, Denny's or what, whatever, right? You still have like approval process. But with a presidential campaign where the media is going to pick apart every single post and there's got to be a lot of uh, a lot of pressure and a lot of uh, a lot of approval process going through that can you tell us a little bit about what that was like and, and how how you managed to stay on top of it all because it i'm a fan as well so i, I was, i'm gonna say that account was flawless Thank you. Thank you. So I think there's a couple of different angles to what you're speaking about. The first kind of approval approval process overall, first content went to myself and my deputy and we had to review it before it went to an approval process of three folks. So we always had policy, communications, and research sign off on every single post that went out or accounts we'd follow and all of that. And before we posted, we always had a screenshot of the post that would go out, always posted natively, always posted in real time, and having someone else review it. One thing I often say is that when someone is reviewing their own work, even like you're editing your own writing, if you're reading it back pretty close to when you wrote it, you will read back what you think you wrote, not what you actually wrote. And that's how you end up with emails that are like, I would like AA or, you know, all all those other typos that are so common. So we were very careful about avoiding those kinds of mistakes and also making sure that we had the proper approval and also be it for rapid response or be it for a bit more planned content. And the biggest thing overall, though, with all of our social media was making sure we would bring Elizabeth Warren to people through that medium. So, be, I mean, for example, we posted more video content than any other presidential candidate, but not just during debates and town halls, but also overall. We actually looked at this, and that's one example. And also with, for instance, seeking out folks that she would call to thank them for their donations or reach out to, we coordinated you know, tweets that she would reply to or calls that she would commit to making on social media to also what the candidate was actually doing in the real world. And we wanted that parallel to exist and and really bring that online, offline, and vice versa. In terms of was the approval process difficult? Sometimes, but we really wanted to make sure, especially for such a policy-heavy campaign, that we wanted to get it right and we wanted to make sure to reflect that on her social media. One other anecdote about how important social media was for this campaign, there were many press releases that we sent out as a campaign that were just screenshots of her tweets. So uh, this uh, made the press release process more concise, but also it really made social media really the front lines of just getting out the word about anything and especially important to get it right. And the thing also with a presidential candidate, but also so many brands is 
there's a lot of people who have post notifications turned on for someone of that high visibility. So that comes back to that QA process I spoke about. You, you only get one chance to get out that content and it must be right or someone will see if it's not. And we, we were very aware of the many, many eyes, I mean, millions of eyes that were watching our content, but we, we wanted to make it work and we wanted to do right for Elizabeth Warren. But speaking of screenshots, one suggestion I do have there is very often, and especially now, a lot of times folks want, especially on Twitter, to debunk various tweets that may go out that um, there's a lot of folks in the political space who may say, who may promote misinformation or disinformation, be it about COVID, be it just um, about masks, about anything in general. And one thing I would encourage, if you really, 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 really want to dunk on that tweet, don't, don't, uh, don't quote tweet it and share your opinion on it. That will only promote engagement with yeah. it and visibility of that original tweet and that misinformation in feeds. Rather, if you really want to dunk on it, take a screenshot and share your message that way, separately from the original, uh, original piece of content that would be promoted. Because technically, if you're quote tweeting it, you're giving the engagement and Twitter's like, oh, this tweet is great. It's getting a lot of engagement. Let's keep promoting it. So uh, if you absolutely must dunk, do a screenshot. And screenshots to prevent, you know, preserve it for because so many of those tweets get deleted, right? Uh, so many times, and, and I'm I'm shocked sometimes about how quickly people do that. Like that tweet is up for 30 seconds, but somebody's already screen grabbed it. It's it's uh it's pretty remarkable how people do that sometimes, but it needs to be done some quite often. So I have so much to ask because like my, my, my social media manager heart is just so excited right now because there's so many things to talk about in, in that chunk. So uh, first, first thing I, I, I want, want, want to address, and this is the first time I've ever heard of this, is press releases that are just screenshots of tweets. I, I, I'm ecstatic because I've seen the other way around where it's a tweet that's a screenshot of a, a oh, press God, release. Oh, God, yeah. We, which that I, we yeah. did not do. <laughs> exactly. But I, I, I've never heard of it go the other way around. So can you talk a little bit more about, about, about that and, and how that happened and, and how that went over? Because I, I want to do that. For example, also also thinking about like when she gave a speech and it wouldn't be aired in real time on a cable news network, we could just live stream it on her social media platforms. So the idea with social media, be it a speech, be it a, a, a statement that you want to get out, social media is the fastest, most efficient way to get it right out, especially on Twitter, where so many reporters are active on there. So rather than you know calling MSNBC and letting them know, just get it out there and send a screenshot of that tweet. Or if it's a speech that's not being broadcast on MSNBC, just live stream it now and get that same or a very comparable audience viewing that speech anyway. And broadly, we really see social media as being kind of a, a workaround for those media gatekeepers that can sometimes close various opportunities or really keep a tight lock on what they broadcast on their platforms. I mean, this was, I think, a good use of it, but also in a less good use of it, it's something that you also saw Donald Trump doing a lot during, throughout his entire term. For example, announcing he had COVID. He did that on his Twitter account. He shared many statements and much news happened because of his Twitter account. And also thinking about there were so many news articles that were just based on his tweets as well. So we did kind of the good version of that. I, I think it's a good, yeah, that's, Warren is a much better example to follow. <laughs> Thank you. It, it's kind of like Warren is, is 
famous for, of course, being a planner, you know, it's pl planning versus chaos, right? It's, it's a good comparison. And another question I have too is you, you mentioned that all the posts were native to the platform. So you didn't use a third party application like Hootsuite or Sprout Social, uh, just, just po hosting native. We posted natively in real time. We did use Sprout Social to like pull reports and see that data, but we, yeah, everything was posted in real time and natively on the platforms. And I think a lot of social media, in, in the day of COVID, where scheduled treats are even more risky than ever, because by the time we get off the recording of this podcast, there's probably some other news item happening today that everybody needs to be aware of. But during the time on the campaign, what was the reason for that, that decision? Presidential campaigns move extremely quickly, and we wanted to get it right and we always wanted to be timely with anything that went out. The other piece with posting natively is you have the best control of what will go out and the expectation of what will happen, whereas even just introducing a third-party tool, there's something that could go wrong, the API could mess up, um, there's so many different things that could happen, and posting natively and in real time was the best way we could control that experience and make sure things were correct. So for example, let's say she was going on Jimmy Fallon that night. Also, like these these kinds of news appearances, for example, they can be canceled at the last minute. I mean, up until the last moment. So that example is making sure that we control the message if it goes if it's planning to go out, and if it's canceled at the last moment, we can hold it and put a stop to it rather than having to unschedule something, have it mess up, etc. How did, were you able to manage that too? As I'm, how big was your team? It was like, five folks, it, including myself. Yeah, it, def okay. it definitely takes a team, especially when we're working at that scale. It's it's very important to, there, there's so much work that goes into it and it's important to get it right. And it's it's definitely more than one person, which I know is, there's so many social media teams that are just one person. There, I mean, there's digital teams that are just one person. I So I it was such a privilege to have those resources, to have those people, but it was absolutely necessary to do the caliber of work that we did. So also big fan of, Elizabeth Warren and the work that you did, my wife especially, was avid following and retweeting everything that went out during the campaign. I think one of the bigger questions and probably something that a lot of organizations struggle with is how you go about maintaining or even just planning for having cohesive voice through all of this. So especially when you have multiple people working on the management of this very long digital campaign, which is all communication. How are you maintaining that very solid voice? Because I, I ask this because like when you look at the various candidates that, I mean, any year, like any election year, that run campaigns on Twitter and have a very large social media presence or, or at least try to, they're very distinct. Some have kind of more dull voices. Some are, you know, we talked about the Trump campaign is very much more about inflaming and energizing with more violent language than other candidates would use. Elizabeth Warren is very, comes across very strong in the messaging that's used and the words that are used, but also in a very kind, caring, measured way, right? It's not trying to be tough. It's that it's that we have to stand up and we have to we have to be energetic and move forward. And then Barack Obama's messaging was very much different from that when he was running originally in his first term and then when he was running for re-election. And we see that change throughout. I mean, she's Marco Rubio's Twitter campaign is just like the voice that that was used for his election year is way different than everyone else. How do you go about maintaining that solid, focused, cohesive voice and keeping that small core group on task, I guess, or or within that specific 
fence, I guess, of what of what the voice is supposed to sound like. So you mentioned Donald Trump at the beginning. I think he's kind of an outlier for so many of yes. these things because I think also he probably tweets a lot of his own stuff, which the vast majority of other candidates have or other campaigns, politicians, leaders, they actually have work to do and are uh, right. prioritizing that above getting something out on Twitter. But it's my two cents. Um, th- there's many different layers to this. The first is when you're working on a presidential campaign, especially one this busy, first of all, people really believe in this work. And also we are very familiar with the candidate and also really want the candidate to be reflected in our, so- in our social media. As I spoke to earlier, we really wanted to sound like her and to be her. There were, of course, Elizabeth Warren accounts that came from her, and a lot of them were used lines that, for instance, she said in, in a speech or in a video. So there was a lot of emphasis on reflecting her specifically. And for especially important posts, like when we unfortunately had to comment on the passing of certain individuals, we had her personally review that content to make sure that it aligned with what she had in mind and what she felt was appropriate for this. We also had a style guide that we adhered to very strictly. So if we, if there's a certain word that we capitalized or hyphenated, we always made sure to do that. Likewise with design, a style guide where these things, uh, certain things were communicated visually with consistency. And we made sure that this was uh, shared. And then if there's a new term that needed to be uh, formatted correctly, made sure to add it to the style guide, made sure it was shared. And that was also reflected across her other digital platforms. I think, I th- but I think especially like with a presidential campaign and with Elizabeth Warren in particular, I think the passion is also so important. As you mentioned, it, this requires a lot of dedication to really, you know, believe in her message and to understand where she's coming from. And there's a, it's a big commitment from the communications piece, and uh, that is something that is required of all the staff. But I think also the additional layers of approval, the kind of internal approval. So like me and my deputy, that we would review it first before it goes to policy communications and research. I think that was also necessary, but just the passion really fuels that work and knowing what she sounds like and being so familiar with her. And that also helped us get out so many different things. For instance, video clips of her during speeches, debates, town halls, uh, really pulling those clips directly from what she said and and uh, having that as the accompanying caption for a video we might share. So I think it's it's systems. So like, for instance, those things like the style guide, how we'd format various words, things we would say, things we would not say, things, um, for, for instance, there's various terms and various phrases that um, were common in fairly recent history, but we no, are no longer appropriate for us to use. And we made sure to avoid those versus phrases that she does often use. And for instance, big structural change, big one that she loves. And we would uh, make sure to use that often, for example. But then it also... There's the passion, uh, and especially when you're working something like a presidential campaign that requires long hours, lots of energy. Uh, what I would also compare it to is like a marathon and a sprint, you know? So it's both of those in one. I think the passion for, for her and for that work uh, was so essential as well. This is going to be one of the few episodes where I'm like legitimately giddy because like I could talk about social media style guides all day, and I think that's a, a social media specific style guide too. I think so many brands or, 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 or you know, any social media program forgets about that of like building that consistent voice and, and having that written style guide so you can point to it and go no we don't say that <laughs> like and that's not a phrase we use updated or, with like new additions mm-hmm. new terms and making sure that it stays consistent absolutely exactly it's got to be a living document and, and, and allow for that that voice to evolve over mm-hmm. time too you know sometimes you know my stance on you know 
for a university style guide at, at one point i was solely anti-emoji and have changed it okay no maybe we need to introduce that a little bit here and there for 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 to, to better facilitate understanding but that's such an important detail i think a lot of people forget and maintaining that so while we're on the topic of social media and higher ed and we're talking about how you know, Senator Warren really does understand the importance of using social media both responsibly and effectively. So many university presidents themselves now are taking to social and trying to have a, a better social media presence, some more successful than others, of course, and, and all kind of taking different approaches, whether or not they're writing their tweets themselves or having a social media manager handle it or, or some combination of the two. So what, what, what can university presidents and other higher ed leaders as well Learn, learn from Senator Warren's social media presence. Two things come to mind immediately. The first one is, what is your goal? Develop your approach, a strategy specifically, and a process that gets that content out to align with the goals and objectives that you're trying to reach with joining social media. I think especially like if you just join social media and expect magic to happen and don't really know what goals you're achieving, what you're targeting, what you're trying to do, it's a very easy way to fail because especially if you don't set those goals in advance, you're not going to meet them because they don't exist. The other thing I would say is social media is different than, for example, a press release. You might notice we, we uh, during the presidential campaign, we're for president, we, um, we had as many as three policy release rollouts every single week, and we would adapt those to be engaging visually and linguistically on social media. So that could be a carousel on Instagram, it could be a thread on Twitter, it could be a video. And we made that content work on social media, and we tailored it to every single platform individually. I think that is also so important. It, we can't just come to Twitter, to Facebook, to these various platforms expecting something that would work in a different space to work well there. It needs to be adapted and ideally it really needs to be native, natively tailored to that specific platform. So really think about what your goals are and, and how you can make your message work for that specific platform. Preach. I'm clapping like, yes, that's it's, it's so important. And, and I, I think you're right. I, th I think a lot of leaders in higher ed and other areas, they, they just think, okay, if I go to social, magic will happen. People will follow me. I will get my message out. And they don't really have a goal or they think, well, the president of the university down the street is on social media, so I need to be too without really having a clearly defined goal. And and that that's not just for individuals accounts that's for brand accounts as well like why what is your why why what, what are you trying to accomplish and if that's just having a social account you need to, to step back and, and reevaluate it a little bit absolutely completely agree and then also just like how are you actually trying to make those things happen like if you post something and then no one has liked it for day, like what did you post why are you why are you doing that? Why are you talking about that? These are so, such important questions. And so often, even clients who approach me, still, a, they will just want to dive right into social media. And it's really important to pull them back and think about, like, no, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? What are we really doing here? Is such an important question. I'm not, I'm not just saying that. It really is important to ask that before just diving right into content creation. And it makes the content creation easier too, because then you have like a purpose and, and like a, an idea to center it around rather than just blindly going, oh, it's Tuesday. What are we going to post? It's, what, what is the social media holiday today? Actually, speaking of that, it's it's so much more important to have that strategy and have a purpose rather than just meeting a quota. Like we need to have a post out every single day or every Thursday we're doing a throwback Thursday. 
have a purpose, have an intention behind that. So much more important than just what is the holiday that we're going to post about today? It's Thursday. Let's do a throwback post. It, yeah, meaning is so much more important than just hitting a specific quota for that. Yeah, the the quota thing bothers me to no extent because honestly, I think that's where people run into danger. You have a social media manager who's been told, okay, you have to post X number of times per day or week, and they're trying to hit that number and maybe get out something that you don't want just because they're they're more they're thinking more about the number than they are the message if you go back to elizabeth warren's social media accounts or even the team warren accounts that we also had there you will see that there were some days that we just went quiet because there were certain days that the most appropriate thing to do that aligned with our goals and our strategy and just our our ethos was going quiet that day sometimes it's important to just be be quiet. And sometimes that can really align with your with your social media strategy and with what the campaign is trying to do. There, again, I strongly discourage just having a quota to meet as part of a social media strategy. And so rarely is there a requirement to post every single day, no matter what happens. Exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. There's just times that you just need to be Shut quiet. Up. So... So from there, were there specific metrics that you all were following that you found more helpful to see how effective your messaging was going forward? Like what role did engagement play, whether that was people just engaging with with the messaging that you were putting out or the accounts engaging back? What was kind of the thinking around managing that whole aspect of social media? So there's quantitative metrics, like the number of likes, the number of responses, and there's also qualitative that we also looked at. So for instance, who is actually talking about us? What are they saying? And so I'll just give you some examples, but there were a variety and that really were based on what the message was. So one simple example is if we were sharing videos from a town hall, a debate, a speech, how long did people watch those videos? Which videos received the highest number of views and had those longest average watch times? Things like debates. How many accounts were tweeting about us versus other candidates and what were they saying? There's one specific debate, for example, where Elizabeth Warren was treated about more or less the same as a different candidate, but they were saying very different things. The metrics don't just tell you that. Really look at what folks are saying about that. Um, So we, we really looked at a combination of that. And oftentimes, these even informed our choices with other facets of the campaign. For example, Billionaire Tears Mug, you may have heard of that. That was uh, highly encouraged by a lot of people who supported Elizabeth Warren and were tweeting at us, hey, you should launch a Billionaire Tears Mug. So we did. I remember one specific, one specific woman tweeted, uh, does Elizabeth Warren have a plan for my love life? So we drafted a response to her and then also had Elizabeth Warren call her personally, figure out the plan for that, because we have a plan for that. <laughs> and her plans included, uh, let's see, canceling her student loans so she would have more money to dedicate to developing that love life. And down the road also, for instance, investing in childcare and, and making that more accessible. So uh, does Elizabeth Warren have a plan for my love life? Sure, sure does. And uh, they chatted about that. Um, so it, yeah, so the big answer to the question is a combination of qualitative and quantitative. One other actually example that comes to mind is also folks sharing their stories in ways that we didn't even expect. Sometimes that was share your story with like a specific hashtag and see how many responses we got. But for instance, when Elizabeth Warren uh, was accused of lying about being let go from her public school job because she got pregnant, there were so many women who chimed in and just said, no, that 
that happened to me too. I was let go several decades ago because I got pregnant at my job as well. And so speaking to that sexism, misogyny, and we looked at that data and that informed us filming a video with Elizabeth Warren personally reading some of those stories on video and sharing that. We, again, broad answer, qualitative, quantitative, and it also, that data informed broader facets of our campaign as well. I think that's really important. I think a lot of times people organizations especially don't have that last piece. They don't see it as a feedback loop, right? They look at, here's a bunch of data. Now I hand this off to my boss to show how good of a job I'm doing. But the the real value in that is being able to take what you're seeing and pull insights out of it and then affect what you say in the future, how you react to things in the future to bring better impact to whatever your goals are, whatever your campaign is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's something that we, all organizations, all all accounts can do. It's not just a presidential campaign that can look at that information and look at it as that kind of feedback loop. No matter what kind of account you're running, you can look at how folks are responding to it, um, the, the qualitative data, who's responding to it, and also the numbers uh, in which folks are responding to it and inform other facets of the work that you do and the organization does. Another issue to address, you know, and a major part of your role working with with orgs like when we all vote is is galvanizing young people to take action and 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 vote, you know, and and, and what what strategies have you taken to, to reach this demographic and, and motivate them to take action? Because I think that's something in higher ed where it may not be voting, it might be going to get your vaccine or signing up for class on a certain date, but but motivating that younger demographic to take action is a, a constant challenge. So so what, what advice do you have in that area? I think um, actually anyone who's listening to this, I would format it that way. It's each and every one of us has an important story to tell, an important experience to share through our own social media platforms. What I mean by that, when people log into their Facebook, and you are friends with them, they will see things that you're posting and you're a real person that they know. And if you post about getting a vaccine shot, signing up for classes, any other news item, or supporting Elizabeth Warren, for example, it takes it from being this abstract idea that they might see in the news, like, oh, I should get a vaccine, oh, I should vote in the presidential primary, and it makes it accessible and directly someone they know is doing this. And it's not just me saying this, this is, this is how so many issues have, especially recently, have really um, escalated in support. So for instance, uh, same-sex marriage really received more and more support over the last few decades because people realized that they knew people, they had cl- good close friends in their networks, in their communities, who were part of the LGBTQ plus community where they hadn't even considered that before. It takes it from this abstract idea that you know something will legalize this thing or this is a policy that is happening in the news, and it makes it, oh, there's... That's my good friend who I've gone to class with, who I know personally so well, who I could just send a text message to, they are affected by this too. And it takes it from that big picture impersonal issue and it really makes it personal. So for example, with vaccines, share a photo of yourself getting vaccinated if you have that, or a photo of your vaccine card with hiding certain personal information because we've seen that too. But making that big picture impersonal issue personal is so powerful and is something that I encourage everyone to do. Really use your social media platforms to talk about what's important to you and about developments that are happening in the news that matter to you, that affect you personally. Again, make them less, take take away the impersonal big picture quality and make it something that people in your network will see is affecting you personally and it's something that you support or that you feel strongly about. 
But I think another thing that comes to mind with the rise of influencers with social media content that you might see from major organizations that can partner with those, that's also a way of making that impersonal issue personal. It's not just supporting this organization that literally has a vote in their name when we all vote. Right. It's it's people who I've been following for a decade. I've been watching their beauty vlogs and I, I've supported them and I... And, kind of almost have that parasocial relationship where they feel like my friend in some way through that social content. Seeing them support that issue, support that organization, also takes it from this big picture and personal issue and something truly personal that you can grab onto. And it's part of why we're seeing a rise in influencer marketing as part of what is being done on social media and as a big trend that is being supported and engaged with by multiple brands and even presidential or other campaigns like Joe Biden's campaign was very active with also engaging influencers, again, to make that impersonal big picture issue personal in a variety of different ways. Do you think the appeal or usage of influencers in particular is affecting that desire for authenticity that has always seemed to be like the core tenet of ma of managing a social media account like you know we're all told that in marketing everyone wants authenticity in social media but to some extent those uh, influencers are not authentic like they're you know they're being engaged to to be shills for something whether it's good or not how i don't know like it, it feels like it's kind of being wavy in terms of like how effective that's going to be going going forward i think that's true and i think the most effective partnerships be it influencers be it anything the most effective content is content that's true and authentic to you so for example elizabeth warren coming back to her that social media presence, we didn't pretend that she was someone she wasn't. Right. Um, we shared exactly who she was. And I mean, it was in some ways an uncool, a little bit wonky uh, lady who was really passionate about what she was doing, but she wasn't going to pretend to have like the coolest outfit and uh, be the coolest person. But, you know, she was really passionate. She is really passionate about her, uh, her golden retriever, Bailey. And actually, yep. fun fact, she the vast majority of photos and captions about that, uh, about Bailey, she wrote and she took those photos. So basically she's, everyone who's managing your social media is gonna be out of a job because they were fantastic. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> coming back to that, it's that authenticity is important. And that's also where the most effective partnerships come from. So for instance, with When We All Vote, it's from influencers who are actually passionate about voting and actually wanna turn out and do that and are speaking from the heart about that passion that's also reflected in for instance, for when we all vote. For instance, there's an influencer who does YouTube videos, and at the end of every single video, she mentions that she has a she has a link at the bot uh, in her description to encourage folks to register to vote. And this is something that she's been doing for years, and including in her descriptions and ending her videos with. So it was a natural partnership because it's something she's passionate about that her audience has heard from her, and we wanted to partner with her specifically because this is something that already clearly matters to her. And so I think you're exactly right that yeah, there are influencers influencers who aren't as authentic as we'd like them to be. And I don't recommend pairing with them. I recommend authentic partnerships that truly matter to you, be it for a presidential campaign, for instance. Like, likewise, we we partnered with folks for Warren for President who were genuinely passionate about electing Elizabeth Warren and weren't just looking for more clout right. for themselves or other benefits. Yeah. And, and influencers can be so tricky too. Like it's, it's tough to find one that works for you. And a lot of times you do need You've, you've got to hold their hands throughout the process of making sure that they're posting what represents you well, gets you towards the goal. They're posting the proper links, the right hashtags, tagging the right people. Uh, it, it, it's surprising 
you know how how, how you know some are better than others of course but it, it does require a, a lot of, of guidance as well. And I think with that also, folks who manage those relationships, it's important to have someone who understands the space and who understands the influencers they're partnering with. So for instance, I don't want to throw anyone under the boss, but there's various influencers who have made certain missteps and you wouldn't want to reach out to them to support a campaign that is specifically targeting that, for example. And it's so important to bring on folks who understand that space to manage those relationships and to understand that you know this one person might have more followers, but they're not someone we want to partner with for a specific initiative, for example. Right. And, and more followers doesn't always mean more influence either, technically, which seems a little counterintuitive, but it's true. Truly. And this is something we actually speak about with various clients. Th- those like ads, for example, on Facebook, they're so popular. But Getting a like on Facebook isn't a guarantee that person will see that content, far from it, right? And that's why we look at quantitative and qualitative data. It's There is more than just, I have this many number of followers. There is so much more to social media than that. As you know, I can talk about this all day. And, oh, likewise. And, and t- t- take all of your time. <laughs> I, I want to leave with, with one, one question because I think this is really important to talk about. We don't talk about it enough. Like, so, Social media is a high pressure job and it's constant. It never stops. You know, you're getting Slack messages on into the night. Things happen while you're trying to get to, to sleep, etc. How do you, how do you balance balance it, and how how do you take care of yourself and prevent burnout? And um, especially when you're dealing with something as high stakes as a presidential campaign. I think the one thing I might also add to the list of pressures is also social media changes a lot. And what you might think as like a a TikTok right now might be, I mean, TikTok has grown so much over the past two years. That's not even a good example, but that's why I also recommend, you know, reserving your username on various social media platforms because you truly never know how big a specific platform that might be smaller now is going to be in a year, two years, et cetera. In terms of how to prevent burnout, it varies. I think I think it ultimately comes down to setting boundaries and to being clear and setting them in advance. So it's not a surprise that like you want to take Saturday to go hiking. It's more that it's something that's been discussed in advance that you've established in advance that's important to you, for example. But I want to acknowledge that, yeah, it, it is tough. I do also think that with so many studies about burnout, they've shown that it doesn't necessarily come from the volume of work you have, but rather feeling like you're doing something and not getting anything personally from it. You're not pouring your creativity. You're mm. you're not interested in that work and you're not yeah. seeing the returns of it. And I think that's also why, be it for Warren for President, be it the folks I manage there, be it at Trilogy Interactive now, it's so important to give folks something they're passionate about and, and work that they can really feel creatively involved in and a leader in and making an important impact in rather than just a cog in a machine. It's so important to do that so that you truly feel that personal ownership of your work and that pride. So I think it, it's both of those things. I think it's it's doing work that is meaningful and it's also setting good boundaries. Now, granted, especially for you know a presidential campaign, it's uniquely hard to set those kinds of boundaries because the news cycle is moving so quickly and things come up at any moment. And I think that's also where just the broader boundaries, like it's it's something that, you know, presidential campaigns, they're going to happen every four years. Don't limit the number, uh, the kind of work that you have back to back, for example. And it's, um, I think it's both a personal thing of like, if, if you wrap one role, giving yourself time to rest and relax and rejuvenate yourself. With that also, with with all of this, It's realizing that rest is not nothing. It's so important to rest and recharge and time spent doing nothing is not, it it is important for rejuvenating yourself, recharging yourself. And it's not, 
wasted time is what's that quote it's like wasted time is not a waste of time it's 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 getting at that it's it's that it's it's so important to rest rejuvenate and to feel passionate about the work that you do and to also set clear boundaries I, I wish I had a perfect answer here. I know that social media can move quickly. And I think also acknowledging that and acknowledging that this work can be stressful and also just setting that in advance, the expectation that, yeah, there will be some days where we have to work past 5 p.m. or we even have to do some a, a little bit of work on the weekend. I think that's that's so important. Yeah, I, I think that that's absolutely right. And I think it's, a, it's a doubly important. I think the rest is so important in social media where there's a lot of creativity involved. And sometimes that time while you're physically resting or doing something else, your brain's still working on some of those problems and needs that time away from the screen or, or, or the phone or whatever to build and work those things out. Think about how many uh, great ideas you've come up with in the shower or in the gym or while cooking. It's not a mistake that, that happens. And that's making time for that is important, not just in general for your well-being, but just also for getting the work done. I, I think the, the quote I, I, I like it is, is, we don't work so we can rest, we rest so we can work. The two go hand in hand. You've got to have both, but social media can make it kind of hard sometimes too. Uh, and, and I think sometimes we do put that a bit on, on ourselves too, where we're just like, oh, I can, I can make this tweet. I can, I, I can do it. But you, you've got to set those boundaries. So. That's really important. I want to uh, talk for another hour, but I know you've got, got th things to do. So we'll wrap up and give you a chance to, to plug anything you want to plug. Thank you so much for listening to the Thought Feeder Podcast. If you liked our episode, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also visit us at thoughtfeederpod.com to find all of our back episodes and transcripts for every episode. We would love to see you on the site. Also, we would love for you to follow us on Twitter at ThoughtFeedPod. Ask us questions, suggest people to be on the show with us in the future, or just suggest new ideas for future topics. We'd love to hear them all. We want to thank Anastasia Golovashkina for being on the show today. Anastasia, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. It was it was such a pleasure to join you. Um, if folks want to find me online, uh, my last name, it's not easy to pronounce, but the good thing is it helps with getting all those uh, usernames on social media. So uh, feel free to uh, find me on Twitter, just my last name, and uh, excited to see you online. Thank you so much for joining us. Thought Feeder is now a production of Bravery Media. 